When we read the Christian scriptures, we believe we're doing more than simply studying an ancient text. We believe God actually speaks to us through these words. So let's take a moment of silence to clear our minds and quiet our hearts so we can listen to God's word. Tonight's reading comes from the book of Proverbs. As iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. Me? Let's pray. God, we do ask that you would help us to listen, that you would help us to hear your voice. You would make our hearts soft and tender to whatever it is you're saying to us, that your spirit would move freely among us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we head towards the end of the year, you start to see best of lists compiled and released. Different publications have their, their best of, the best films of the year, uh, the best songs, the best albums of 2023, the best TV shows. I think we love a good ranking, like evaluate, stack them up, rate them, rank them. I spent most of the day yesterday watching college football uh, and finishing my sermon, in case you're wondering. Uh, in college football, everyone's talking about the ra- rankings, right? Because Michigan beat Ohio State. Uh, People are wondering, <laughs> Michigan fan right here, uh, people are wondering, like, should Alabama be in the college football playoffs? I personally spent a miserable few hours last night watching uh, my Gators slowly lose to the Seminoles over the course of a few hours. I know you probably couldn't sleep last night because of that. Uh, was it the best use of my time? But here we are. I think we love a good ranking. Stack them up, rate them, list them out, evaluate them. Today, we're wrapping up our series on Friendship. A central theme running through this series as we come back to it week after week is that we actually devalue friendship. The idea that if we were to rank our relationships, stack them up, evaluate them, list them out, friendship often falls to the bottom, consistently at the bottom. Author and psychology professor Marissa Franco has a book called Platonic, and there she says that platonic love lies at the lowest rung of the hierarchy our culture places on love. She says, compared to our families, compared to our romantic partners, with friends, we invest less time, we're less vulnerable, and we share less adoration. We rank them, we stack them, we evaluate them, and friendship consistently falls to the bottom. Why? Why do we do that? Not just in the church, broader culture as well. Why? I think there's a lot of reasons you can name. One would be the idol that we can create out of marriage and out of the nuclear family, that we can lift that up and devalue singleness, especially in the church. I think another reason that we can name, though, is that we don't actually view friendships as essential. Like, it's a bonus feature. It's a helpful add-on if you can fit it into your schedule. It's sort of optional, like appetizer, great, but it's not the main course. Not essential in our busy, fragmented, driven-by-independence lives. But here's the thing. What if we're really, really wrong? What if friendship is absolutely essential? What if we can't thrive without friends? What if we can't flourish without friends? What if you can't grow as a Christian without friends by your side? What if you can't grow as a follower of Jesus without friends? In his book, Made for People, which I'm going to quote from a lot tonight, Justin Whitmore Early says this, you cannot experience God the way you were made to. Unless, until you experience him alongside others. You cannot experience God the way that you were made to 
until you experience him alongside others. Tonight, we're going to explore briefly the idea of spiritual friendship. Spiritual friendship. What is a spiritual friend? You might call it a soul friend or or a covenant friendship. You might just call it a best friend. But it's someone who helps you follow Jesus. Someone who is with you pursuing Jesus side by side. Someone who knows the real you. Your beauty and your brokenness, your dignity and your depravity, your goodness and your shadow side. Someone who knows the real you and is following Jesus with you side by side, who can also speak grace and truth into your life. Someone who who is helping you become more like Jesus. Someone who's helping you enjoy life with God. I was talking to someone the other night after our Nova gathering about this idea of spiritual friendships, and she said this in defining a spiritual friend. She said, it's someone that when I'm with them, I know I will meet Jesus in this place, and we will do it together. That when I'm hanging out with this person, I know I'm going to meet Jesus, and it's going to be mutual. Do you have someone like that? You just get together for coffee or to work out together, but you know you're going to meet Jesus in that place. Author David Benner writes this, At their best, Christian friends help each other discern God's presence, recognize it as a presence of grace, come to trust that grace, and surrender to it more freely. We treat friendships sometimes like they're not essential, like an optional add-on. But what if they are deeply essential? What if I can't fully discern God's presence without someone or someone's by my side? What if I certainly can't recognize that it's a presence of grace without someone walking next to me? And what if I can't actually trust that grace and surrender to that grace without someone embodying that grace? to me. Now, you may at this point say, I already know this. (laughs) You may say, I already have this. And then you therefore may be tempted to check out right now and see if the Broncos actually won tonight. (laughs) But when we study God's word together, the point is not for me to tell you something you don't already know, although that that may happen. And the point when we study God's word together, it's not for me to ask you to do something that you're not already doing, although that may happen. The point is us for together as a community to listen to God's word and to listen to what God is saying to us as individuals and as a community in the midst of your actual life right now. Where you are right now, where we are right now, and whatever God is saying to us. Because when God's word is proclaimed, it's accompanied by grace. There's an invitation to respond to the grace of God tonight and whatever God is saying to you. So think about your actual life right now. What's true about your friendships right now? You may have close friends who have slowly moved away, and you find yourself in a lonely season. You may be in a season of transition, and friends just look different right now. Or you may have friends that you do a lot of fun things with, you do a lot of even meaningful things with, but you don't ever get around talking about your actual life with God together. You may be at an impasse in your friendship. Maybe there's a conflict in one of them, and you're trying to just navigate, how do I handle this? You may have deep, deep friendships in Christ right now. These soul friends, these spiritual friends, wherever you are, let's lean in and listen for God's voice together. Our scripture reading tonight that Julian read, this one verse, it comes from the book of Proverbs. And Proverbs is this collection of wise sayings attributed to Solomon, one of the the best known kings of Israel. And it's all focused on one thing, how do I live well? My one life, how do I do it well? How do I live skillfully? How do I live a life of meaning? How do I live a life that, that, that flourishes, a flourishing life? In this Proverbs, it says, friends sharpen each other. If they get close enough, 
they'll actually make each other better. The friends help us to live well, meaningfully. That friends are essential for flourishing. So three questions. Kind of as a way of wrap up to this series, three questions I'm going to leave you with. I hope maybe you will actually write these down. Take, if there's a piece of paper around, we threw like 10 pieces of paper at you on your seat. Use one of those, write them down, put it in a note on your phone, because of course, I'm not going to stop talking. So you write the question down so you can come back later and have more time to reflect. First question, how are you spending your time? At some point, we have to, I have to evaluate my time, how I'm spending my time. If I'm trying to organize my life to follow Jesus, I have to look at how I'm spending my time. Think about your average week, where you spend the majority of your time, what fills up your time. I was listening to a podcast the other day. I like to listen to podcasts as I'm driving. And and this particular podcast, the person being interviewed has written all kinds of books on, on pursuing your goals, on pursuing the things you care about. And he said this, he said, unless our our values, what matters to us, that the goals we say we have, unless they show up in how we spend our time, it's actually just fantasy. That hit me hard somewhere on Logan Street on the way back from Costco. (laughs) I can talk about it, but if it doesn't actually show up in my calendar, I can say it matters to me, but if it doesn't actually show up in my schedule... It's actually just fantasy. I think we've returned to a lot through this series is that the, the modern life that we all lead, it actually pulls us into loneliness. Justin Whitmill early said, the current of modern life means that unless we swim with all our might in the other direction, we will drift towards becoming someone who used to have friends. As Chuck names, one of the, the currents of modern life, it's, it's busyness. The way it just pulls us. And if we try just to stand there and do nothing, we're going to get pulled into loneliness. We're going to get pulled away. Author and pastor John Ortberg tells a story of talking on the phone with his mentor, a guy named Dallas Willard. And John was describing his day, his week, all the things that were going on in his life in that moment. And he said to Dallas, what do I need to do to be spiritually healthy? And Dallas says to him, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. And John said, okay, what else you got? (laughs) I got to go. I got to get off the phone in a moment. What else can you tell me? And Dallas said, that's it. Ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life, certainly in order to be present to God, certainly in order to be present to your own soul, and certainly to actually be present to other people, to slow down, to refuse to overschedule, to create margin, Chuck said a few weeks ago that our frantic pace of life pulls us away from deep and meaningful friendships. Actually pulls us away. Because one thing that deep and meaningful relationships require all of the time is time. There's just no way to get around it. And so Chuck asked us these these questions. How available are you to the key people in your life? How available are you to the key people in your life? You can't be available to every person And you can't be available all of the time. That is a terrible recipe for burnout. (laughs) But who are you available to? Who are the people who get your presence, your full, unfiltered presence? You might actually need to make a list. Write write the names down. How do you prioritize time with them? How do you spend intentional time with them? Now, if you're anything like me at this point in the sermon, you can hear this as an indictment. Like, you're not doing enough, you busy person, you. 
like you're doing it wrong. That's how I can receive things like this. That's how I do receive things like this. And I already feel maybe the, the pull of different commitments in my life right now. But what if we don't hear it as an indictment, but an invitation to just actually notice our lives, to notice what's going on, to notice the way the current is grabbing at us, and to listen to whatever God is saying to us about that, to respond to the grace of God as God helps us notice our own lives and the people around us. A really practical step that Justin Whitmull early talks about is the habit of scheduling. Like, schedule that time with these spiritual friends. Schedule the time with people who you think could become spiritual friends, that you think have the potential to grow deeper. Schedule the time. After Chuck preached this message a few weeks ago, he realized he should do something about his life. And so he texted a friend of his and said, can we just get something on the calendar? And so now they're meeting the third Friday of every month. Regular doesn't have to mean frequent. But what's a regularity that you can have with people to cultivate these friendships? Okay, second question. Who are you going deeper with? Who are you going deeper with? It takes time, yes, but it also takes intentionality to do the work of rooting yourself deeper in a relationship. Who are you going deeper with? A really practical way to move forward in relationships, again, whether it's a a current relationship that feels like a spiritual friendship or one that you think has potential, a really practical way is to ask questions. Ask good questions. I remember sitting with a college student once. I was working at the college ministry of my old church, and she was new to our church, and I was just trying to get to know her. And so I met up with her on campus. She went to Colorado College down in the Springs, and we were sitting in the middle of the student center getting lunch, and I was just asking her questions about her studies and her family and her spiritual journey. And I'll never forget, she said to me, thanks for asking questions. She said, no one asks questions anymore. There's power in really good questions. We see that all the time in the ministry of Jesus, flip the Gospels. He's constantly responding to a question with a question. He's constantly asking questions. Who do you say that I am? Do you want to get well? What do you want me to do for you? And of course, the power of questions, it comes when we offer a listening presence. That's slowing down, right? That unhurried, I'm not checking my phone. I was reading an article this week about growing in emotional intelligence and friendships. And it talked about how we actually struggle to listen, a lot of us. And it shared this joke um, about our struggle. It said, your secret is safe with me. I wasn't listening anyway. <laughs> and one of the suggestions of this blog to grow in our emotional intelligence and how we show up with our friends, one of the suggestions was this, ask good questions. Because good questions have the ability to like, kind of clear through all the clutter and get at what's going on in someone's life. Not just how are you or what did you do this weekend, but like the Wesleyan Christians, when they got together in small groups, they would start off with this question, how is it with your soul? How is it with your soul? That is a way of kind of clearing through the clutter. Now, you don't need to do that when you just meet someone. (laughs) Like, stick with how was your Thanksgiving? (laughs) But who in your life gets the asset of you, and you're going to be honest? And who are you asking that of? How is it with your soul? Other questions, what's stressing you out these days? What do you think is underneath that? When do you feel connected to God? When do you feel disconnected from God? Author Jenny Allen has this book on friendship, and she says to go deeper in our friendships, we usually just have to name our desire. We have to say to our friends, hey, I'm hoping we can move in this direction. I'm hoping we can intentionally move in this direction. 
I want to have more meaningful conversations. She said, we just have to name it. She says, it's awkward, but it's just what you have to do. That might be another theme through our series, is just embrace the awkward, because <laughs> it's worth it. And there's so much goodness on the other side. She also names that it's not just people in your age and stage, that we need people older and younger who know us well enough and care about us enough to ask, how is it with your soul? Also want to say, it's not just for women, in case anyone is thinking that. I appreciate last week when we had the panel up here and, and Franklin named that men sometimes struggle with vulnerability in relationships and friendships, but how much men crave it as well, how much men need it in their lives as well. And, and stats do show that men in particular suffer from a lack of meaningful friendships. How is it with your soul? In his book, Justin Whitmill Early shares that he practices regular confession with a friend. They have this time every Monday night where they call each other up, and they're busy. They have a lot going on, but they have this scheduled time on the phone with each other for like 10 minutes. It's not a long call, but they call each other every week. And they have this time of confession. They actually wrote out a script, a sort of like liturgy. I think I do need something like that when I try to do phone calls. I'm very awkward on the phone. And they have this sort of like liturgy of what they want to say to each other. And they ask this question every week. What burdened you this week? And they give space for their friend to share. And then they say, has anything been left unsaid? And they take turns. And then they also speak the gospel over each other to remind each other of the grace of God. And you can say that's weird. You can say writing a script that's artificial. But it was this way that worked for them to have regular intentional time. Because what we offer to each other is the grace and truth of Jesus. To call each other into all that God has for us. Okay, last question. How do you spend your time? Who are you going deeper with? Who is carrying your cross with you? It's a central image of Christianity, obviously. It's the invitation that comes to us from Jesus to pick up our cross and follow him. That's what Jesus says. Anyone wants to be my follower, you must deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. It's this way of life of letting go, of surrender. It's the way of life of of yielding ourselves to God, of laying down our self-made world-given identities to take up our new identity in Christ. In his book on friendship, author and professor Wesley Hill points to the icon of Simon of Cyrene carrying the cross of Jesus as a central image of friendship. Jesus, on the way to the cross, he he stumbles, right? He stumbles under the weight of what he's carrying. He stumbles under the physical weight of the cross. And Simon of Cyrene is pulled from the crowd and forced to carry Jesus' cross with him. And Wesley Hill says that's actually an image of friendship. Someone who's close enough with you to carry your cross with you. Jesus didn't carry his cross alone. Simon was there. And I want you to consider that image just for a moment What does it tell us of friendship in the way of Jesus? Take up your cross and follow me, Jesus says. It's the invitation to discipleship, to apprentice ourselves to Jesus, but we don't do it alone. Carry your cross together. It's actually what Paul says in Galatians 6.28, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. You cannot experience God the way you were made to until you experience him alongside others. And we could add, you cannot become the person God has made you to be until you invite others into your life. You cannot be formed into the image of Christ without trusted people on your right and on your left who know you and love you, the real you, the broken and shadowed and beautiful you, and call you into the fullness of God's desire for you. 
You cannot know the depths of Christ's love for you until you experience it through the presence of another. And here's the thing, I promise, I'm almost done. We all resist this. Please tell me all of us do it. It's not just me. <laughs> we all resist this. It's that pull, that push. I want to be known. I don't want to be known. I want to be accountable to others. I don't, I don't even know what that looks like. We all resist this in various ways. And we come by it honestly. Things that have happened to us, we, we get hurt in relationship. We get hurt in community. To quote David Benner again, he says this. He says, what we most deeply long for, we also fear. How else can we explain a reluctance to be genuinely known by those with whom we are most intimate? Often it seems that what we want is the fruit of companionship without the demand of intimacy. Yet something within us remains dissatisfied with the safe but superficial relationships we experience. Our souls ache for a place of deep encounter with others. Our fears may partially mask this ache, but it won't go away. We want companions for the journey. We come by it honestly. This push, this pushing people away, the, the walls we put up, the ways we learn to shut down or perform or people please, whatever your preferred defense mechanism is. And here's how the economy of God's grace works. We're hurt in community and we find healing in community. It's the way that neuroscience says our brains work. We're hurt in relationship and we find healing in relationship. In the presence of people who are safe and trustworthy and not everyone is, but in the presence of people who are safe and trustworthy, together we find healing. For Christ is here. Christ is with us. Jesus, who is the true friend, who shows us what it means to be a true friend. Jesus, who laid down his life for us to make it right, to make it all right, and to bring us back together in his family. There is no greater love than this. Christ, who is at work here and now. When we talk about this vision of seeing signs of renewal, they're all interconnected. Justice, beauty, wholeness, worship, all those things, they're all interconnected. None of those happen in a vacuum. Justice only comes about in community. Wholeness only comes about in community. They're all deeply interconnected. The biblical word for that is shalom. This interconnectedness, this, this wholeness, this flourishing. And if sin is the shattering of shalom, Jesus is in the work of making all things new. Look, behold, he's making all things new. He's taking all the broken pieces and he's putting it back together again. And I need you for my healing. That we need each other to link arms and follow Jesus together. So how are you spending your time? Who are you going deeper with? And who's carrying your cross with you? I have one image, I think. It's a funnel image, maybe. Yes, okay. Last thing I'm going to leave you with. Jenny Allen talks about this. I want to just leave you with this thought. Is she names that sometimes we just want to jump to the two to five close friends. We just want to jump to the spiritual friends, the best friends. But it comes in the context of a wider community, a village, and certainly not everyone in your village is going to be in this church community, but that's something of the hope and prayer we have for Nova, that we would be a community interconnected, pursuing Jesus together. And in that, we can be deeply known in smaller spaces where we find spiritual friendships as well. To link arms, despite the fact it can get awkward, to link arms, despite the fact that we all do that push-pull, to link arms and follow Jesus together. Amen. I'm going to leave you just with a couple moments of reflection. There might be something tonight that God was kicking up for you. Just write it down. Give it a little space. Don't rush off to the next thing. 
And of course, encourage you over the next couple weeks to maybe connect with someone in this community to talk more about what God was saying to you or what God was kicking up in you tonight or through this friendship series. So we're going to come to the Lord's table in just a minute, but take a few moments of reflection. What was God saying to you tonight? What impression was the Spirit putting upon your heart?